0: CHAPTER Nine of Book I of the House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Mrs. Peniston's youth, fashion had returned to town in October. Therefore, on the tenth day of the month, the blinds of her Fifth Avenue residence were drawn up, and the eyes of the dying gladiator in bronze who occupied the drawing-room window resumed their survey of that deserted thoroughfare. The first two weeks after her return represented to Mrs. Peniston the domestic equivalent of a religious retreat. She went through the linen and blankets in the precise spirit of the penitent exploring the inner folds of conscience. She sought for moths as the stricken soul seeks for lurking infirmities. The topmost shelf of every closet was made to yield up its secret, cellar and coal-bin were probed to their darkest depths, and, as a final stage in the lustral rites the entire house was swathed in penitential white and deluged with expiatory soap soapsuds it was on this phase of the proceedings that miss bart entered on the afternoon of her return from the van osburgh wedding the journey back to town had not been calculated to soothe her nerves though evie van osburgh's engagement was still officially a secret it was one of which the innumerable intimate friends of the family were already possessed and the trainful of returning guests buzzed with allusions and anticipations. Lily was acutely aware of her own part in this drama of innuendo. She knew the exact quality of the amusement the situation evoked. The crude forms in which her friends took their pleasure included a loud enjoyment of such complications, the zest of surprising destiny in the act of playing a practical joke. Lily knew well enough how to bear herself in difficult situations she had to a shade the exact manner between victory and defeat every insinuation was shed without an effort by the bright indifference of her manner but she was beginning to feel the strain of the attitude the reaction was more rapid and she lapsed to a deeper self-disgust as was always the case with her this moral repulsion found a physical outlet in a quickened distaste for her surroundings she revolted from the complacent ugliness of mrs peniston's black walnut from the slippery gloss of the vestibule tiles and the mingled odour of sapolio and furniture polish that met her at the door the stairs were still carpetless and on the way up to her room she was arrested on the landing by an encroaching tide of soapseds gathering up her skirts she drew aside with an impatient gesture and as she did so she had the odd sensation of having already found herself in the same situation but in different surroundings it seemed to her that she was again descending the staircase from selden's rooms and looking down to remonstrate with the dispenser of the soapy flood she found herself met by a lifted stair which had once before confronted her under similar circumstances it was the charwoman of the benedict who resting on crimson elbows examined her with the same unflinching curiosity the same apparent reluctance to let her pass on this occasion however miss bart was on her own ground don't you see that i wish to go by please move your pail she said sharply the woman at first seemed not to hear then without a word of excuse she pushed back her pail and dragged a wet floor-cloth across the landing keeping her eyes fixed on lily while the latter swept by it was insufferable that mrs peniston should have such creatures about the house and lily entered her room resolved that the woman should be dismissed that evening mrs peniston however was at the moment inaccessible to remonstrance since early morning she had been shut up with her maid going over her furs a process which formed the culminating episode in the drama of household renovation in the evening also lily found herself alone for her aunt who rarely dined out had responded to the summons of a van alstyne cousin who was passing through town the house in its state of unnatural immaculateness and order was as dreary as a tomb and as lily turning from her brief repast between shrouded sideboards wandered into the newly uncovered glare of the drawing-room she felt as though she were buried alive in the stifling limits of mrs peniston's existence she usually contrived to avoid being at home during the season of domestic renewal On the present occasion, however, a variety of reasons had combined to bring her to town, and foremost among them was the fact that she had fewer invitations than usual for the autumn. She had so long been accustomed to pass from one country house to another till the close of the holidays brought her friends to town that the unfilled gaps of time confronting her produced a sharp sense of waning popularity. It was as she had said to Selden, people were tired of her they would welcome her in a new character but as miss bart they knew her by heart she knew herself by heart too and was sick of the old story there were moments when she longed blindly for anything different anything strange remote and untried but the utmost reach of her imagination did not go beyond picturing her usual life in a new setting she could not figure herself as anywhere but in a drawing-room diffusing elegance as a flower-shed's perfume meanwhile as october advanced she had to face the alternative of returning to the Trenners or joining her aunt in town even the desolating dulness of new york in october and the soapy discomforts of mrs peniston's interior seemed preferable to what might await her at bellamont and with an air of heroic devotion she announced her intention of remaining with her aunt till the holidays sacrifices of this nature are sometimes received with feelings as mixed as those which actuate them and mrs peniston remarked to her confidential maid that if any of the family were to be with her at such a crisis though for forty years she had been thought competent to see the hanging of her own curtains she would certainly have preferred miss grace to miss lily Grace stepney was an obscure cousin of adaptable manners and vicarious interests who ran in to sit with mrs peniston when lily dined out too continuously who played basique, picked up dropped stitches read out the deaths from the times and sincerely admired the purple satin drawing-room curtains the dying gladiator in the window and the seven-by-five painting of niagara which represented the one artistic excess of mr peniston's temperate career Mrs. Peniston, under ordinary circumstances, was as much bored by her excellent cousin as the recipient of such services usually is by the person who performs them. She greatly preferred the brilliant and unreliable Lily, who did not know one end of a crochet needle from the other, and had frequently wounded her susceptibilities by suggesting that the drawing room should be done over. But when it came to hunting for missing napkins or helping to decide whether the back stairs needed carpeting, grace's judgment was certainly sounder than lily's not to mention the fact that the latter resented the smell of beeswax and brown soap and behaved as though she thought a house ought to keep clean of itself without extraneous assistance seated under the cheerless blaze of the drawing-room chandelier mrs Pennison never lit the lamps unless there was company lily seemed to watch her own figure retreating down vistas of neutral-tinted dulness to a middle age like grace stepney's when she ceased to amuse Judy Trenor and her friends, she would have to fall back on amusing Mrs. Penniston. Whichever way she looked, she saw only a future of servitude to the whims of others, never the possibility of asserting her own eager individuality. A ring at the door-bell, sounding emphatically through the empty house, roused her suddenly to the extent of her boredom. It was as though all the weariness of the past months had culminated in the vacuity of that interminable evening if only the ring meant a summons from the outer world a token that she was still remembered and wanted after some delay a parlour maid presented herself with the announcement that there was a person outside who was asking to see miss bart and on lily's pressing for a more specific description she added it's mrs haffen miss she won't say what she wants lily to whom the name conveyed nothing opened the door upon a woman in a battered bonnet who stood firmly planted under the hall-light. The glare of the unshaded gas shone familiarly on her pock-marked face and the reddish baldness visible through thin strands of straw-coloured hair. Lily looked at the charwoman in surprise. Do you wish to see me? she asked. I should like to say a word to you, miss. The tone was neither aggressive nor conciliatory. It revealed nothing of the speaker's errand. Nevertheless some precautionary instinct warned lily to withdraw beyond earshot of the hovering parlour maid she signed to mrs haffen to follow her into the drawing-room and closed the door when they had entered what is it that you wish she inquired the charwoman after the manner of her kind stood with her arms folded in her shawl unwinding the latter she produced a small parcel wrapped in dirty newspaper i have something here that you might like to see miss bart she spoke the name with an unpleasant emphasis as though her knowing it made a part of her reason for being there to lily the intonation sounded like a threat you have found something belonging to me she asked extending her hand mrs Haffen drew back well if it comes to that i guess it's mine as much as anybody's she returned lily looked at her perplexedly she was sure now that her visitor's manner conveyed a threat but, expert as she was in certain directions, there was nothing in her experience to prepare her for the exact significance of the present scene. She felt, however, that it must be ended as promptly as possible. I don't understand. If this parcel is not mine, why have you asked for me? The woman was unabashed by the question. She was evidently prepared to answer it, but like all her class she had to go a long way back to make a beginning and it was only after a pause that she replied my husband was janitor to the benedict till the first of the month since then he can't get nothing to do Lily remained silent and she continued it wasn't no fault of our own neither the agent had another man he wanted the place for and we was put out bag and baggage just to suit his fancy i had a long sickness last winter and an operation that ate up all we'd put by and it's hard for me and the children hafen bein so long out of a job after all then she had come only to ask miss bart to find a place for her husband or more probably to seek the young lady's intervention with mrs peniston lily had such an air of always getting what she wanted that she was used to being appealed to as an intermediary and relieved of her vague apprehension she took refuge in the conventional formula i am sorry you have been in trouble she said oh that we have miss and it's only just beginning if only we had got another situation but the agent he's dead against us it ain't no fault of ours neither but at this point lily's impatience overcame her if you have anything to say to me she interposed the woman's resentment of the rebuff seemed to spur her lagging ideas yes miss i'm coming to that she said she paused again with her eyes on lily and then continued in a tone of diffuse narrative when we was at the Benedict I had charge of some of the gentlemen's rooms, leastways I swap em out on Saturdays. Some of the gentlemen got the greatest sight of letters. I never saw the like of it. Their waste-paper baskets'd be fairly brimming, and papers fallen over on the floor. Maybe havin' so many is how they get so careless. Some of em is worse than others. Mr. Selden, Mr. Lawrence Selden, he was always one of the carefulest, burnt his letters in winter and tore em in little bits in summer but sometimes he'd have so many he'd just bunch em together the way the others did and tear the lot through once like this while she spoke she had loosened the string from the parcel in her hand and now she drew forth a letter which she had laid on the table between miss bart and herself as she had said the letter was torn in two but with a rapid gesture she laid the torn edges together and smoothed out the page a wave of indignation swept over lily she felt herself in the presence of something vile as yet but dimly conjectured the kind of vileness of which people whispered but which she had never thought of as touching her own life she drew back with a motion of disgust but her withdrawal was checked by a sudden discovery under the glare of mrs peniston's chandelier she had recognized the handwriting of the letter It was a large, disjointed hand, with a flourish of masculinity which but slightly disguised its rambling weakness, and the words, scrawled in heavy ink on pale-tinted note-paper, smote on Lily's ear as though she had heard them spoken. At first she did not grasp the full import of the situation. She understood only that before her lay a letter written by Bertha Dorset and addressed, presumably, to Lawrence Selden. There was no date, but the blackness of the ink proved the writing to be comparatively recent the packet in mrs Haffin's hand doubtless contained more letters of the same kind a dozen lily conjectured from its thickness the letter before her was short but its few words which had leapt into her brain before she was conscious of reading them told a long story a history over which for the last four years the friends of the writer had smiled and shrugged viewing it merely as one among the countless good situations of the mundane comedy now the other side presented itself to lily the volcanic nether side of the surface over which conjecture and innuendo glide so lightly till the first fissure turns their whisper to a shriek Lily knew that there is nothing society resents so much as having given its protection to those who have not known how to profit by it. It is for having betrayed its connivance that the body social punishes the offender who is found out. And in this case there was no doubt of the issue. The code of Lily's world decreed that a woman's husband should be the only judge of her conduct. She was technically above suspicion while she had the shelter of his approval, or even of his indifference but with a man of george dorset's temper there could be no thought of condonation the possessor of his wife's letters could overthrow with a touch the whole structure of her existence and into what hands bertha dorset's secret had been delivered for a moment the irony of the coincidence tinged lily's disgust with a confused sense of triumph but the disgust prevailed all her instinctive resistances of taste of training of blind inherited scruples rose against the other feeling her strongest sense was one of personal contamination she moved away as though to put as much distance as possible between herself and her visitor i know nothing of these letters she said i have no idea why you have brought them here mrs haffin faced her steadily i'll tell you why miss i brought em to you to sell because i ain't got no other way of raisin money and if we don't pay our rent by to-morrow night we'll be put out i never done anything of the kind before and if you'd speak to mr selden or to mr rosedale about gettin half and taken on again at the Benedict, i seen you talkin to mr rosedale on the steps that day you come out of mr selden's rooms the blood rushed to lily's forehead she understood now Mrs. Haffin supposed her to be the writer of the letters. In the first leap of her anger she was about to ring and order the woman out, but an obscure impulse restrained her. The mention of Selden's name had started a new train of thought. Bertha Dorset's letters were nothing to her. They might go where the current of chance carried them, but Selden was inextricably involved in their fate. Men do not, at worst, suffer much from such exposure, and in this instance the flash of divination which had carried the meaning of the letters to Lily's brain had revealed also that they were appeals, repeated and therefore probably unanswered, for the renewal of a tie which time had evidently relaxed. Nevertheless, the fact that the correspondence had been allowed to fall into strange hands would convict Selden of negligence in a matter where the world holds it least pardonable and there were graver risks to consider where a man of dorset's ticklish balance was concerned if she weighed all these things it was unconsciously she was aware only of feeling that selden would wish the letters rescued and that therefore she must obtain possession of them beyond that her mind did not travel she had indeed a quick vision of returning the packet to bertha dorset and of the opportunities the restitution offered but this thought lit up abysses from which she shrank back ashamed meanwhile mrs Haffen, prompt to perceive her hesitation had already opened the packet and ranged its contents on the table all the letters had been pieced together with strips of thin paper some were in small fragments the others merely torn in half though there were not many thus spread out they nearly covered the table lily's glance fell on a word here and there then she said in a low voice what do you wish me to pay you mrs haffin's face reddened with satisfaction it was clear that the young lady was badly frightened and mrs haffin was the woman to make the most of such fears anticipating an easier victory than she had foreseen she named an exorbitant sum but miss bart showed herself a less ready prey than might have been expected from her imprudent opening she refused to pay the price named and after a moment's hesitation met it by a counter-offer of half the amount mrs Haffen immediately stiffened her hand travelled toward the outspread letters and folding them slowly she made as though to restore them to their wrapping i guess they're worth more to you than to me miss but the poor has got to live as well as the rich she observed sententiously lily was throbbing with fear but the insinuation fortified her resistance you are mistaken she said indifferently i have offered all i am willing to give for the letters but there may be other ways of getting them mrs Haffen raised a suspicious glance she was too experienced not to know that the traffic she was engaged in had perils as great as its rewards and she had a vision of the elaborate machinery of revenge which a word of this commanding young lady's might set in motion she applied the corner of her shawl to her eyes and murmured through it that no good came of bearing too hard on the poor but that for her part she had never been mixed up in such a business before and that on her honour as a christian all she and haffen had thought of was that the letters mustn't go any farther lily stood motionless keeping between herself and the charwoman the greatest distance compatible with the need of speaking in low tones the idea of bargaining for the letters was intolerable to her but she knew that if she appeared to weaken mrs haffen would at once increase her original demand She could never afterward recall how long the duel lasted, or what was the decisive stroke which finally, after a lapse of time recorded in minutes by the clock, in hours by the precipitate beat of her pulses, put her in possession of the letters. She knew only that the door had finally closed, and that she stood alone with the packet in her hand. She had no idea of reading the letters. Even to unfold Mrs. Hafen's dirty newspaper would have seemed degrading. But what did she intend to do with its contents? The recipient of the letters had meant to destroy them, and it was her duty to carry out his intention. She had no right to keep them. To do so was to lessen whatever merit lay in having secured their possession. But how destroy them so effectually that there should be no second risk of their falling in such hands? Mrs. Penniston's icy drawing-room grate shone with a forbidding lustre. The fire, like the lamps, were never lit except when there was company miss bart was turning to carry the letters upstairs when she heard the opening of the outer door and her aunt entered the drawing-room mrs peniston was a small plump woman with a colourless skin lined with trivial wrinkles her grey hair was arranged with precision and her clothes looked excessively new and yet slightly old-fashioned they were always black and tightly fitting with an expensive glitter she was the kind of woman who wore jet at breakfast lily had never seen her when she was not curezed and shining black with small tight boots and an air of being packed and ready to start yet she never started she looked about the drawing-room with an expression of minute scrutiny i saw a streak of light under one of the blinds as i drove up it's extraordinary that i can never teach that woman to draw them down evenly having corrected the irregularity she seated herself on one of the glossy purple armchairs. Mrs. Penniston always sat on a chair, never in it. Then she turned her glance to Miss Bart. "'My dear, you look tired. I suppose it's the excitement of the wedding. Cornelia Van Alstyne was full of it. Molly was there, and Gertie Farish ran in for a minute to tell us about it. I think it was odd, they're serving melons before the consommé. A wedding breakfast should always begin with consommé. Molly didn't care for the bridesmaid's dresses she had it straight from julia melson that they cost three hundred dollars apiece at celeste's but she says they didn't look it i'm glad you decided not to be a bridesmaid that shade of salmon pink wouldn't have suited you mrs peniston delighted in discussing the minutest details of festivities in which she had not taken part nothing would have induced her to undergo the exertion and fatigue of attending the van osburgh wedding but so great was her interest in the event that having heard two versions of it she now prepared to extract a third from her niece lily however had been deplorably careless in noting the particulars of the entertainment she had failed to observe the colour of mrs van osburgh's gown and could not even say whether the old van osburgh sevres had been used at the bride's table mrs peniston in short found that she was of more service as a listener than as a narrator really lily i don't see why you took the trouble to go to the wedding if you don't remember what happened or whom you saw there when i was a girl i used to keep the menu of every dinner i went to and write the names of the people on the back and i never threw away my cotillion favours till after your uncle's death when it seemed unsuitable to have so many coloured things about the house i had a whole closet full i remember and i can tell to this day what balls i got them at Molly van Alstyne reminds me of what I was at that age. It's wonderful how she notices. She was able to tell her mother exactly how the wedding-dress was cut, and we knew at once, from the fold in the back, that it must have come from Paquin. Mrs. Penniston rose abruptly, and advancing to the ormolu clock, surmounted by a helmeted Minerva, which throned on the chimney-piece between two malachite vases, passed her lace handkerchief between the helmet and its visor. I knew it. The parlour-maid never dusts there, she exclaimed, triumphantly displaying a minute spot on the handkerchief. Then, reseating herself, she went on. Molly thought Mrs. Dorset the best-dressed woman at the wedding. I've no doubt her dress did cost more than anyone else's, but I can't quite like the idea. A combination of sable and point de Milan. It seems she goes to a new man in Paris who won't take an order till his client has spent a day with him at his villa at Noilly. He says he must study his subject's home life. A most peculiar arrangement, I should say. But Mrs. Dorset told Molly about it herself. She said the villa was full of the most exquisite things, and she was really sorry to leave. Molly said she never saw her looking better. She was in tremendous spirits, and said she had made a match between Evie van Osburgh and Percy Grice. She really seems to have a very good influence on young men." i hear she is interesting herself now in that silly silverton boy who has had his head turned by carrie fisher and has been gambling so dreadfully well as i was saying evie is really engaged mrs dorset had her to stay with percy gryce and managed it all and grace van osburgh is in the seventh heaven she had almost despaired of marrying evie mrs peniston again paused but this time her scrutiny addressed itself not to the furniture but to her niece cornelia van alstyne was so surprised she had heard that you were to marry young gryce she saw the wetheralls just after they had stopped with you at bellomont and alice wetherall was quite sure there was an engagement she said that when mr gryce left unexpectedly one morning they all thought he had rushed to town for the ring lily rose and moved toward the door i believe i am tired i think i will go to bed she said and mrs peniston suddenly distracted by the discovery that the easel sustaining the late mr peniston's crayon portrait was not exactly in line with the sofa in front of it presented an absent-minded brow to her kiss in her own room lily turned up the gas-jet and glanced toward the grate it was as brilliantly polished as the one below but here at least she could burn a few papers with less risk of incurring her aunt's disapproval she made no immediate motion to do so however but dropping into a chair looked wearily about her her room was large and comfortably furnished it was the envy and admiration of poor grace stepney who boarded but contrasted with the light tents and luxurious appointments of the guest-rooms where so many weeks of lily's existence were spent it seemed as dreary as a prison the monumental wardrobe and bedstead of black walnut had migrated from mr peniston's bedroom and the magenta flock wallpaper of a pattern dear to the early sixties was hung with large steel engravings of an anecdotic character lily had tried to mitigate this charmless background by a few frivolous touches in the shape of a lace-decked toilet-table and a little painted desk surmounted by photographs but the futility of the attempt struck her as she looked about the room what a contrast to the subtle elegance of the setting she had pictured for herself an apartment which should surpass the complicated luxury of her friends surroundings by the whole extent of that artistic sensibility which made her feel herself their superior in which every tint and line should combine to enhance her beauty and give distinction to her leisure Once more the haunting sense of physical ugliness was intensified by her mental depression so that each piece of the offending furniture seemed to thrust forth its most aggressive angle. Her aunt's words had told her nothing new, but they had revived the vision of Bertha Dorset, smiling, flattered, victorious, holding her up to ridicule by insinuations intelligible to every member of their little group. The thought of the ridicule struck deeper than any other sensation. Lily knew every turn of the allusive jargon which could flay its victims without the shedding of blood. Her cheek burned at the recollection, and she rose and caught up the letters. She no longer meant to destroy them. That intention had been effaced by the quick corrosion of Mrs. Peniston's words. Instead, she approached her desk, and lighting a taper, tied and sealed the packet. Then she opened the wardrobe, drew out a despatch-box, and deposited the letters within it. As she did so, it struck her with a flash of irony that she was indebted to Gus Trenner for the means of buying them. End of chapter nine.